Welcome to another exciting episode of Scuttlebutt, the official podcast of the National Museum of the Surface Navy, coming to you from the battleship Iowa. And uh, I am in my remote office. My name is David Canfield. I'm the technical guy or uh, whatever you want to call me. We've got our boss. What were we going to call you? The warden. warden. Am I the warden? <laughs> the, the warden. The warden, because you're the head of the institution. We have Dr. Yes. Doolittle with us. Yeah, he's Gomez now. Uh, he's Gomez <laughs> now. <laughs> he was Burt Reynolds two days ago. Yeah. We'll call, him, we'll call him the bandit. Smokey burp. and the bandit. He's got a mustache now for those only listening. So he, he bears resemblance Convoy! to people. Convoy! That's going to be There stuck we go. We have head. our illustrious producer, button pusher, Hello. skater, extraordinary, Moran Fangler. And, She's the uh, ice queen. Nuts and bolts, Mike Getcher, our chief operating officer and chief engineer. Yeah. And we are going to be talking today about treasure hunts and treasure finding. I think you should start, David, because you, you found that amazing piece of treasure for you in that first few weeks or months of uh, our existence it was kind of funny it was actually found by one of our first volunteers uh, a guy named Russ Farnell and uh, I got this phone call I was still working at a certain search company there in Silicon Valley and uh, my phone rings I pick it up he says hey David I found your keys while I was cleaning the overhead of the battleship in the wardroom and I said I have no idea what you're talking about he says well I know they're yours because they have your dog tags on And I was like, dude, I haven't had my dog tags on my keys since 1987. Uh, And he says, well, I'll throw them in your mailbox. So the next time I got to the ship, I go to my mailbox and I pull out a set of dog tags that has one of my father's dog tags and one of mine and a single locker key on it, which I lost November of 1987 within my first couple of days of coming on board the on board the vessel. And uh, honestly thought I would never see those again. And that was uh, certainly a good personal treasure for me. And it's one of those things where people ask, you ever uh, wonder if you're where you're supposed to be? I'm like, nope, I'm pretty certain I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, we're finding treasures in the bunks that are coming out. Yeah, it's actually amazing. There's uh, Dear John letters, there's pictures of family members, all kinds of stuff. Um, Enough cards to fill Las Vegas. Condoms, you you name it. (laughs) I mean, there's there's, there's original Playboy and Penthouse subscription cards even. A salt and pepper cassette tape. The cassette tape. was. Oh, yeah, the salt and pepper cassette tape. Mm -hmm. I saw that sitting down there and, and, uh, yeah, brought back serious memories. I had a a shipmate of mine on board here, Brendan McCauley, and uh, we found a Dear John letter in the rack above his so he goes oh i'm still in contact with that guy so he took a picture of it and texted it to him we got a response back just what i needed a 37 year old dear john letter. (laughs) (laughs) that's amazing oh man another thing that that happened to the ship and forgive me i've got a the classic frog in my throat throat today from a ribbit yeah science infection the uh uh some years ago now Somebody reached out to our curator, Dave Way, and, and said, we've got a book in the family, and we're going to send it to you. It's a guest book. And Dave's like going, okay, you know, what is it? We don't really know. And he, 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 I think he had a couple of pictures sent to him of it, and he goes, oh, my gosh, this is the original guest book. But then he lost contact with the individuals, and he didn't even know what was going to happen. Suddenly it shows up in the mail or FedEx or something like that, and it's stunning. It's, a, it's the original guest book. It's signed by FDR, the entire entourage. You know, Hap Arnold, Harry Hopkins, 
um, you know, just George Marshall, uh, King, or, you know, Ernest King, and, and everybody was there. The entire group was there, plus tons of heads of state over the years. So it's the guest book from 1943 to 1958, yeah. so and cool. it literally just shows up in our on our doorstep. And it's an extraordinary piece of history. It's got artwork in it. It's just amazing. You know, all these people, congressmen and other important figures. It, it's just a stunning piece of of, uh, of history that we have that just shows up on our our doorstep. Another thing that we found. Is that salt and pepper? <laughs> well, Jonathan, you pulled it up right on cue. Great timing. <laughs> Sorry. I'm trying to remember salt and pepper. I'm, my I, apologies. I, yeah. <laughs> Good. That's funny. Um, and what else showed up on our doorstep? Uh, so when we got the ship, there was a piece of equipment missing in aft plot. It was this huge uh, yeah. bombardment computer called a Mark 48. And they're rare, as, as we say, as hen's teeth. Um, they were only installed in the 50s on big gun cruisers, you know, the 8-inch cruisers, or, or battleships. And so there was probably only a couple dozen, if that, ever made. And it's just missing, and there's no rhyme or reason. Nobody knows where it went. Nobody has any record of it. And we noticed there's one back in Norfolk somewhere at another museum, and we're kind of envious, thinking it would be kind of cool to get it. But it's their collection. We don't even think about it. Well, that collection was dispersed to other organizations, and one of the other organizations called me up one day and said, Hey, Mike. Isn't it a Mark 48 you need? And I said, yeah. And he goes, I got one. It's yours. And li- literally, that's what happened. It just falls in your lap because you know somebody. Um, so this amazing piece of equipment, this technology that was added in the, in the mid-50s, basically allowing you to put a chart on top of a table and shine a light where you want to you know, point the guns to. Um, and, and then it does all the calculations for you. It ends up in our lap. We have to go back to the East Coast. And in this epic journey through snow, we managed to get it over here. But it's just amazing. Yeah. And then on top of that, the epic journey to get it down inside the oh, ship, yeah. you yeah. know, which is an extraordinary effort. Um, you know, the entire team and multiple departments had to work on that, take it apart. It weighs almost 3,000 pounds. Um, and, and it's old technology, and we have to go find all the, the manuals for it and figure out how to take it apart and put it back together. And it largely functions now. So it's an amazing piece of history. It, it completes a portion of the ship. And then what's even better is that the entire team on the ship get, gets to work with it. Yeah, and it was yeah. so cool watching that, too, because it was it went literally into the ship, down three decks, and then we used the I-beam on Broadway to get it into the space where it needed to go. So we were using the equipment on the ship to restore a piece of the ship. It was amazing. Yeah, we had to open up the soft patch in the backside of the plot room. You know, just yeah. it, it, what a great effort on the part of the team. Yeah. It was really cool. Well, and for those who haven't seen it, it it's what the size of a dining room table, and it, it is solid. It's, it's huge, which begs the question of where did it go and how did it get out? Because it must have been somebody with the, the expertise to lift all those pieces out of there. But well, it's, it's unfortunately, well, I mean, we do see pieces walk off that are not so large. But yeah. um, And with that one, going back in, too, there were literally maybe two inches of clearance on the side of it to slide it between the other pieces in the room. It was just amazing. That speaks to ship design, too, because, yeah. you know, you have to actually design things to fit down through the hatches that they have yeah. to go into. Right. And you can sometimes see if you're walking around the ship, and this is kind of geeked them here, but... You, know, you can see where they've cut extra openings in the doors to get machinery inside because you have to. There's no way to get the stuff out of the, the armored citadel that easily. You know, it has to go through an armored hatch. That's all there is to it. Let's talk about things that walk off. Yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah. you know, the one thing I want to talk about. Well, I mean, I, the, the one thing like I even noticed in this, for our, our listeners, one of the problems we have is people like to put their hands on things around here yeah. and grab things. I noticed last week in the captain's cabin, somebody had been working on the door handle. On the bathroom, trying to get it off. 
had pulled all four screws out and and had it on its way out. But I think the mortise hinge is what, or the mortise lock is what stopped him from pulling it all apart. Yeah. What? And so the- it's not just artifacts either. We we end up in, with situations. We put some nice uh, hand blown glass food that had been detailed out on the Mestex, oh, um, yes. uh, on the line it and i saw a guest who literally had both hands on a glass ear of corn and his foot up on the serving line trying to tear it out of the out out of the tray which caused us to have to you know put up a lexan barrier and it's unfortunate because it 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 really takes away from from presenting the ship the way you want to when you have to keep people from stealing stuff well one of the things is the plaque the original (laughs) plaque that was on the um bathroom door in fdr's cabin which you know, I, I kind of remember it being there, I, but I may not remember it because I've seen pictures of it. At some point, it was removed after she was de- decommissioned in the 90s. I don't know where that ended up. And we had to recreate the plaque based on a picture we have. So there's, somebody uh, out there has that original plaque that was made put on that door. Yeah, there's a lot of things like that. Just recently, we had somebody come back and return the rudder angle indicator plaques for from the steering gear room. You know, I think people... This, this is the sad part of people taking things from the ship... You know, they think it's cool. They got a piece of history, but it sits in their garage for 20 or 30 years. And if they have a conscience, they might send it back. And that's yeah. what's happened num- numerous times here. But oftentimes feel, it's just lost to history. Yeah, unfortunately. I feel a little called out. The, uh, the battle lantern <laughs> that is behind me on the, on the video call came off of Iowa in 1989 when I left. Yeah. And it'll be returned. When, we would we would know, like that back, please. Yeah, when I that die, is our probably, property. But, yeah. <laughs> that, that is our property. That plaque from the it bathroom door is actually us. on David's bathroom at home. <laughs> it probably <laughs> is. It actually, it's not. I have I have two items. I have the battle lantern behind me, and I have a piston from the emergency diesel generator. Both of which were stolen by a very young sailor who didn't know any better, and both of which will come back to the battleship uh, probably with my estate. Yeah. Um, getting back to other talking things. about your estate, are you are you a John Paul Jones legacy giver? Now that you brought I might up the have state, to be to return that stuff. Okay, well, I mean, in in Kyle, the the development department has set up the John Paul Jones Legacy Society, where people can leave uh, something in their estate yeah. in their gift. And so I, you know, you brought that up, so I, I figured sounds like you may be becoming a John Paul Jones Legacy Society member. So go ahead and get with Mel on the team in development and get the you know, identify yourself as such um, with the paperwork so we can make yeah. sure we provide you those benefits that you deserve that are over and above your employee benefits already. <laughs> we'll be able to provide you those benefits of recognition and at, at an early stage in your life. In, in all seriousness, wow, I would challenge every one of my shipmates, every one of my shipmates to become a member of that John Paul Jones Legacy Society. And I would also encourage them as they, uh, uh, you know, get later in life and they're downsizing to go ahead and send that stuff back. We did get a um, nice brass belaying pin. A couple of those have been returned. Mm-hmm. A number of things have come back anonymously. Yeah, that happens. We also have junk show up. <laughs> Frankly, we, you know, we, we have, in fact, uh, Dave Way, our curator, <clears throat> excuse my, um, my voice, but, um, you know, he's, he's gotten to the point where we often turn things down because we have multiple copies of certain uniforms or other things like that. We're looking for things with both a, um, a, a real connection to the ship or to the surface Navy, um, something with some real provenance to, you know, really understand. We've also had somebody drop off a, a, a artillery shell or a, a gun shell. And it was just, to me, it's still hilarious and funny because it's something you have to do is to, to check and make sure it's not live. But talking you know. about junk, I mean, or not even junk, talking about drop-offs, things like that, I think, 
we're already selling some of the stuff, lockers and life rings yeah. and things that we pull off the ship in the store. I think at one point we were even looking at expanding it. I mean, if you want to, if you want to give us those uniforms and you, you know, and we tell you clearly, we may not be using it and we're going to deaccession it and, and sell it, or you're just going to drop it off and we won't even accept it. We'll just turn around and sell it in the store. Yeah. Um, you only have so much room to store this stuff and you only need so many copies of anything. Like for example, when I was at the world war two museum in New Orleans, you know, I talked to the, one of the curators there, and he says they have one copy of every gun ever used in World War II. Wow. One example. Wow. Yeah. Literally one example of everything. And he says you don't need multiples. Or you might have one or two extra M1s or, or something like that, but not too much. You, you only have so much storage space. There's some practical considerations here. Yeah, we're going to have to start really narrowing in on some of that, too, as right. we, we design the museum and figure out how to display things. Yeah. We have some other cool things, too. The, one of the chairs from the wardroom on the Nagato, showed up and I don't remember if it was part of the IVA collection or somebody part of the IVA collection yeah and so I that's, think it that's was extraordinary. part of IVA yeah the the Nagata was the last remaining Japanese battleship in Tokyo Bay at the end of the war and it was um, it was kind of semi-derelict and used as an anti-aircraft platform but it was captured by you know the the Iowa crew uh, you know legally captured um, with that I do remember one thing that was donated to FDR's cane we have FDR's cane right. really. yeah. that, that actually turns into a seat yeah it turns into the handle the handle actually folds out and turns into a seat. Right. Yeah. yeah, we do have FDR's cane. I forgot we had that. That's yeah, crazy. That is cool. Um, that's wow. cool. And then just no this last week, and I think uh, you're going to do a post, or you have yeah, done a post. Yeah, um, do a post. The <clears throat> Chicago Museum of Science and Industry um, had reached out through Hensa to offer up a bunch of artifacts that they had. And a lot of them were what I would call uh, mundane or rel- relatively normal stuff for the 1980s Navy. There was a lot of submarine consoles and control things and, you know, switches and panels and stuff like that. But mixed into all of that were a set of what we call big eyes. That's the big binoculars that you, you might see on a ship. Um, and they're, they're so big you have to have them on a stand. And initially when I reached out and said, yeah, I'd like to have the big eyes. And I didn't look at them too closely in the picture that's presented. And, and uh, it wasn't marked very well. Um, and then the lady there, uh, the registrar, uh, Deanna, said, you know, it's not uh, not available because somebody else got it. I said, okay, no problem. Well, she reached out a week later and said, you know what, the big guys are yours, you're next in line if you want them because the first person backed out. And I said, sure, I'll take them. And she sent a picture, and I looked a little bit closer at it, and it's like, holy moly, um, it's actually got the marking for the Prinz Eugen on it, the German heavy cruiser, which was with the Bismarck when she sank the hood. And what even more interesting to me is that the Prinz Eugen was a war prize for America and later became the USS Prinz Eugen and given the hull designation IX-300. And she, she sailed with American sailors and some German sailors as well. And ultimately she was essentially expended in the um, uh, atomic bomb tests, the Bikini Atoll. Um, and she still exists uh, upside down and mostly underwater at the Kwajalein Atoll where she sank. But it's actually part of surface Navy museum history. And so this this artifact that, and, and they recognize that sure it's the Prinz Eugen, you know, binoculars, but they don't really have any displays or any connection to it. And it, it came out of the uh, uh, Chief of Naval Operations Office back in the fifties. Uh, got a little bit of confirmation on that, and I found some more information since then. So things like that come to us on, on a irregular basis, but it's wonderful when they do, and you have to be ready to go. Um, you know, I didn't. I, I ran back there to Chicago and drove them across last week, and along with other artifacts, of course, but. You know, it's important. The, the stuff that we need and the stuff that we want are the things that have relevance to the ship. You know, they're going to come at you at, at various times, and you don't really have a lot of time sometimes or even money. You just got to go figure out how to get them. You know, you, and you can't miss that opportunity because these things really are often very, very rare. 
So in, was it end of 2020 when you went back to the Charleston? Yes. Something like that. When you're you're going on a, a, you can explain what that was, but when you're going on something like that, what are you looking for? What kinds of things are you trying to get to bring back? You know, it's, it's a, it's kind of hard to describe. First off, I'll describe what was there. The Navy has kept spare parts for these ships literally for 75 years. <clears throat> and uh, those parts um, consist of anything from uh, original, brand new, uh, what I would call original equipment manufacturer OEM parts from the 1940s. They had fans and com- special components. They had fixtures. They had there was whole engine blocks. David, in fact, there's a brand new diesel generator with the generator attached in a box uh, on, on the, 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 the second the, deck hole. Like the big ones from AMR. The, the, exactly. That's the a big box. Thing. Yeah. I think 16,000 pounds. And there's also just boxes of other stuff. And uh, there's also 1980s components and, you know, just spare parts is what it was. Um, it was a huge cache. I mean, literally hundreds of uh, these things called triwalls, which are four-foot square or four-foot cube um, cardboard triwall, you know, really thick cardboard boxes. And so when I go there, I'm, I'm usually looking for things that we truly need. When I look at the Iowa, the ship is largely complete. There's only a couple of missing pieces, and of course we got the Mark 48, so that was a big deal. I think I'm missing physically down below one of the reduction gear pumps, the red gear pumps as I call them. Um, but but beyond that, we're looking for things that we can use. It could be electrical components. You know, the, the rotary switches we have are really important to us. I was looking for breaker components because these breakers, the big electrical breakers of the switchboard, are now 78 years old. You know, and so if I can get parts for them, that's really important to me. Uh, there's motors, actuators, and stuff like that. So we're always looking for components like that. Beyond that, I was usually looking for history, too. So that would be documentation and, and trying to find some, some uh, specific document that might help um, you know, uh, understand something aboard the ship. Um, in that case there, most of the documents were all from other ships, the Missouri and the New Jersey. For some reason, it didn't have anything, or they were buried deeper, and I just couldn't mm-hmm. see them. Uh, but, you know, we, we go there and find... Um, things that we re- truly need. You know, we, we actually run the ship. We maintain the ship. Uh, the rotary switches, for example, are, are uh, an older version that are no longer made. I can't get them, so they're unobtainium, as we call it. You mm-hmm. know, just a uh, kind of an odd thing. Well, yeah. and it speaks a little bit to the ethos of the organization as well. Just the way we put that Mark 48 in, we didn't just plunk it in place because that's where it belongs. It's actually hooked up and largely functional. And so we are always looking for parts to try to keep the ship alive mm-hmm. uh, in the configuration in which she's being restored. And, and that's not just stuff on the, on the tour route. We want the whole ship to be as functional as we can. Yeah. There's one thing funny, I think, that you asked that I comment on today, too. We're restoring CEC, or the Combat yeah. Engagement mm-hmm. Center. And Bill McNally was looking for parts. And, you know, these parts are um, really hard to come by. They're, they're Tomahawk missile consoles, which are essentially classified in some form. They don't typically make them available for the public. No, they're, yeah. not, they're not down at Best Buy. And the and, uh, same thing for the harpoon consoles. <clears throat> and uh, there's something called a, a SPA-25, which is a repeater, like a radar repeater, whatever you want to call it. And there's other things that are missing. The SeaWiz console that we just ended up fabricating something that's so realistic, frankly, that people are... are literally just a few weeks ago from a movie company looked at it and didn't realize it was fake. Um, but yeah. one amazing find was Bill was uh, over in a, a junkyard in, in like a scrapyard in uh, Anaheim, California here near Disneyland. And he literally looked up on a rack and found the slick 32 electronic countermeasures console. The entire console was there. It had been demilitarized, which is an important component of that. In other so words, to be clear, it was empty. It was empty. Yeah. <laughs> but the entire console was literally there. Um, you know, so it just, it's an amazing thing. You just, you find these things out there. You have to go look. 
Um, that but, was a pretty funny story too, because we were told point blank, you may not ever have a Slick 32 console. Yeah. And I had a number of people on the technical team, uh, some of whom were naturalized citizens, which affects your ability to get a clearance and causes, um, you know, people who have those clearances to get uptight, who did not know that the Slick 32 is a piece of gear that is still in use in today's Navy. And we're calling the manufacturer, asking all kinds of technical questions about you know, what it, how it worked and whatnot. It's generated a call from Department of Homeland Security and a few oh, other man. people to me going, what are you doing? And I had to tell them, I'm like, please stop, stop, stop. We are not restoring this like 32 because it's still a very sensitive piece of gear. And then Bill turns around and finds the console sitting in a scrapyard and brings it back. I was like, okay, cool. Well, and, <laughs> and what luck to have such a like, kind of, I guess, broad reach of, of a crew members here that yeah. would yeah. be in that place at that time and recognize something like that. They're always searching yeah. for things like yeah. that. And they hear, and you know, there's, it's kind of a network. I think it's true of uh, aircraft restorers and other things like that, or even automobile people, you know, the, the Model T collectors. There's a, there's a whole world out there. Um, ours is a smaller, more finite world, but, but there's stuff out there that you can find. And it's been, you know, uh, modified in some way that you can't use it to go do something inappropriate. You know, it's just mm -hmm. the way it is. But we, we want the console. We, want it, we can fake it, the rest of it. Making the console is kind of a pain. Yeah. Well, and it kind of comes back to the, well, we're moving away from the traditional museum. We have all these incredible artifacts. They're, they're fascinating to come and learn about. But how do we integrate those sparingly while still trying to tell the mission of the surface Navy? And so I think that's yeah. kind of what we're doing now is how do we speckle those in throughout your tour route? And, and it looks like Jonathan has something to add to this. I think I figured it out. Oh, we take the Planet Hollywood approach. Put in a casino? <laughs> well, we tried that. That would make more money, too. I, I noticed Kyle yeah. perks right up. Yeah. No, the, the, cool. the, the Planet Hollywood approach is obviously we have these very engaging exhibits that we look forward to, engaging experiences, immersive experiences <laughs> that we look forward to releasing soon. But you have transition corridors between immersive experiences, and mm -hmm. within those transition corridors, you're able to put on display on those bulkheads different artifacts as well as the more traditional story that goes with those artifacts. So I, like I call the, it the Planet Hollywood approach. The Ace Frehley guitar from Kiss on the walls. Which yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah, it's, we've got that whole, that one corridor of bunks that curve right along T2. We could do something seriously cool like that right in yeah, there. You, you, yeah, you, you actually utilize the space that is a transition corridor that we're not able to build an immersive experience in, but you're able to add flavor yeah. to that corridor by mm -hmm. doing the Planet Hollywood approach to things. And it brings that transition and it brings alive the traditional as well as transitioning to the future. Yeah. yeah I mean, absolutely. that speaks to the that entire... That was my idea. The, <laughs> that's why you're, 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 that's why you're the warden. It really comes back to Planet Hollywood, but to those people who are not Planet Hollywood aficionados, what it really speaks to is... Hard Rock Cafe, Hollywood. then. Hard Rock, yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> well, yeah, but it, it talks to striking that balance between being a fully immersive attraction experience and then actually dealing with the artifact that is artifact one, which is the battleship and keeping yeah. that at the right. center of the story of the national museum. of the yeah, surface. It's Navy. really interesting talking to other museum professionals because they don't live in their artifact. No. Yeah, Literally. we do. That's a huge mm -hmm. statement because yeah. you know, the museum yeah. people are wonderful back there in Chicago, but they don't have to live in their artifact. They can treat their artifact as an object and they, they conserve it and they protect it. And here it's a kind of a different animal. We're trying to conserve, protect, restore, but we also have to use it, and that's a huge thing for us. It really is a there's, a, there's a balancing act. We've talked about this before. It's really important. 
our artifact has a past, present, and future to it. Yeah. Yes, it's like very that. relevant in today's conversation. Yeah, I love that. That's a great way of putting it, pal. We, we, you know, I want to test that that Hard Rock Cafe thing. I think I'm going to put my coveralls from 2011 into a <laughs> glass cover, case on the wall. The what an oh Easter egg. egg. I'm going to put a mannequin in it, you know, like a, a whole frame, and I'm going to spread it out, and I'm going to put it up on that little You're table. Room. You came into my <laughs> office last year, right before Freedom of the Seas, and you had those on. You had stuffed a pillow in there, and I was just, I like was gobsmacked. No, no, I hey, could not and believe it. Still the wasn't, it still this wasn't tight enough. That's the perfect comment. We're going to need a bigger boat. <laughs> yeah, we're going to need a bigger boat. Yeah, we're going to need a bigger boat. I, yeah. I filled those, Moran. I filled those to the, remember, I filled them to the limit. I actually, it was hard to zip up. They were not loose. They were like, they no, were you like, were, you, were, wow. you were a big boy. Yeah, I was, I was a huge man. A couple I peanut keep, butter and I jelly sandwiches. I the Beatles in the background because suddenly you're only half the man you used to be. Okay. Yeah, I am half the man I used to be yeah. in very many different ways. I Mentally, remember when you fell eyesight. down the seventh deck, it scared the crap out of me. We're going to come back to that in our next podcast. Are you? Yeah. Okay. There we go. Right. I wonder if the chain so, fall was going to be able to handle us. Yeah, yeah, right. I was thinking <laughs> crane, frankly. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we're twenty-five minutes in. Yeah, we're twenty-five minutes in here. David, you want to? Does that mean? Does that mean? Is that cue cue the out music? Cue the is out music. Yeah. yeah. DJ right, guys, Jazzy thanks David. Thanks for joining us. Wait, go ahead, Jonathan. DJ Jazzy David. <laughs> DJ Jet. Now I'm not spinning any kind of vinyl. I just have the Mister Announcer person voice. Thank you for joining us on this episode of scuttlebutt the official podcast of the national museum of the surface navy if you have comments questions uh, i would normally say rude gestures but those are hard to email please send them to podcast p-o-d-c-a-s-t podcast at labattleship.com or as those of you who have been listening to this like to uh, or have heard me call it uh, labattleship.com podcast at labattleship.com we will take your suggestions for topics and uh constructive feedback on how we can make this better and be sure and join us next time for another exciting episode. Mm-hmm.